Just a couple of evenings ago, I watched an incredible documentary about Clarence Thomas. It's called Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in His Own Words. And it's a wonderfully vivid story about his life saga, where he came from in Georgia, uh, the real ordeals he went through to get to where he is, we've all heard about and have been there, which witnessed the uh, the hearings, the Anita Hill famous hearings. But that was just one of the many things that Justice Thomas went through in his life to form a character, which I think makes him one of Americans, uh, one of America's greatest heroes. Uh, I wanted to learn more about this, and I asked Michael Pack, the director, writer, and producer of the film, to join me. And together we take a look at uh, some of what happened behind the scenes. And we also have talked about what it's like to be a conservative filmmaker in today's America. So listen in and join in the conversation. I think you'll find it very interesting. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics, and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome back. One of the many reasons I love producing this show is that I get to spend time with and share conversations with some truly amazing people. Well, today's a twofer, in a sense. One of my guests is here virtually, and that would be Justice Clarence Thomas, who's, in my view, one of the greatest living Americans. The other is Michael Pack, who's the co-founder of Manifold Productions and the producer, writer, and director of Created Equal, Clarence Thomas, in his own words. Michael has also produced and written and directed uh, 15 other documentaries shown on uh, PBS. And I must say, I've admired both men for years and have followed Michael's career for years, and what he's done over, the, over his lifetime has been just simply amazing. Michael, thank you for doing this film. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on your show, Bill. I'm, I'm honored to be put in the same company with Justice Clarence Thomas. Thank you for that, too. Well, you acquitted yourself so well in the making of this. <laughs> uh, uh, what gave you the idea for the film, and how did you get it kicked off? Well, I have... Justice Thomas and I have some mutual friends, and I had heard from those mutual friends that Justice Thomas was getting tired of having his enemies define his life and his legacy. He, he was tired of the half-truths and untruths that were spread about him uh, in, in the media, in movies, on car in cartoons. Um, and so I, sp I didn't know that much about him. I, I met him. And after meeting with him, I, it was quickly apparent to me that he had a great story, that his life story was a great story. I read his memoir, too. That, that, and that he himself was a great storyteller, which also wasn't obvious. He has a great voice. He thinks narratively and anecdotally. So it was just immediately apparent to me it was a great subject for a documentary. Well, you've got a great trailer as well for this, and I think it conveys pretty much what, what's in the film. Why don't we take a look at the trailer, and uh, then we can talk about, mm -hmm. uh, we talk about that after, after we look at it. Good Here idea. We go. Someplace in my life, the roads had split off. I was no longer in the world that was my comfort zone. I was never going to be a part of that world. 
the problem is I can never go back completely to the world I came from. I wandered the streets by myself. I was six. You were hungry and didn't know when you'd eat. The note said, I like Martin Luther King. You open up the inside, and it just had the word dead. I would rather die on the highways of Alabama than make a butchery of my country. I prayed for guidance, but instead of comfort, I found only sorrow and confusion. He said that I was to leave his house, the only real home I'd ever known. Where could I go? What would I do? So you'd still like to serve on the Supreme Court? I'd rather die than withdraw from the process. I saw what I had become. I didn't even care about it. I didn't care about getting hurt. It was bad. We're supposed to be revolutionaries. I'm just angry, lashing out at every single thing. I had decided to vote for Ronald Reagan. It was a giant step for a black man. I will nominate Judge Clarence Thomas to serve as Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. That's when you know, all heck broke loose. To help you guys. I do. Judge Thomas began to use work situations to discuss sex. Not at all sure that Clarence Thomas is going to survive this. As a black American, as far as I'm concerned, it is a high-tech lynching. I mean, come on, we know what this is all about. This is the wrong black guy. He has to be destroyed. Just say it. Wow. <laughs> and that's just a few minutes. The whole movie, as you know, runs two hours, and I think it's an amazing story. It was released, it was first aired on PBS uh, May 18th, that's right. 2020. And when will it go into rerun? How else can people see it? Even before PBS, we were fortunate to have it in movie theaters. At the very end of January, really the beginning of February, we opened in movie theaters. And usually documentaries air in you know, five or ten theaters, and we were lucky to be picked up by 110 theaters across the country. So a lot of people saw it in its theatrical release, and it got a lot of press. And then you're right, it, it aired on, it was premiered on PBS on May 18th. Um, I, they may or may not rerun it, it's hard to tell. They only really tell you about the premiere broadcast. But we will stream it eventually on Amazon, Netflix, wherever. So people who want to see it that way should go to our website, justicethomasmovie.com, and sign up to be informed when it's streaming. And they could also watch the trailer again if they want to see it a second time, and find out more about the film and read about it. So we hope that it'll be streaming sometime in the summer. Well, I don't know what PBS does with its ratings, but that has to be the highest rated mm -hmm. film among conservatives that have ever <laughs> been shown on, on PBS. Yeah, if they measure that. Yet it's but not particularly, a, uh, it's not a red meat, it's a human story. It's, it, you really, I think, get behind who Clarence Thomas really is. And uh, it's striking to see him narrate, and you do this with, with two people talking. It was basically Justice Thomas and, and his wife, Jeannie. That's right. I mean, that was a, it, it, when you make a film, a, a documentary or any film, you make a couple of big decisions about how to tell the story. And that decision to have the story told by Justice Thomas and Ginny only was their first big decision, really. 
And I, I came to it slowly. I mean, at first I was going to make a traditional documentary where we are going to interview you know, 20 or 30 other people across the political spectrum that were experts in parts of his life uh, on the confirmation and on the issues he brings up, like busing and affirmative action. But it quickly became apparent to me when I proceeded down that path that we would lose his voice, that all these other voices would drown his out, and that a lot of the issues he talks about you know, require a lot, of, a lot of commentary. So I thought it was better to just have him tell it, not to pretend that it's objective. It's just as Thomas's view of his own life. It's the way he sees it. So viewers get to spend two hours with Justice Thomas. And as you said, that is an amazing experience. He is a great man and, and has profound views about America. And to spend two hours with him is a worthwhile experience, whether you agree with him or not. And I'm particularly happy that it's on PBS, like, like as you say, like all of my films, but this one especially. I, I really ho I'm happy to have people who don't think they agree with him find out what he thinks and what he's really like. Uh, you're watching The Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Michael Pack, who's the director of uh, Clarence Thomas, in his own words. Uh, and we're talking about Clarence Thomas, the man, mm. and also Clarence Thomas, the movie star. <laughs> And to make this, you you uh, you interviewed uh, for 30 hours, as I understand it? Justice Thomas and Ginny together for 30 hours over a six-month period, obviously not in one sitting. And I feel really blessed that he gave us that time. I mean, it's a lot. It's unprecedented access from any Supreme Court justice ever, let alone one who is not in the past granted many interviews. Um, so... He trusted us to tell his story fairly and to be true to his view, and I hope I honor that. So what did you do with the outtakes? <laughs> well, we have the I outtakes. suspect there's 28 hours of uh, conversations that would, that would be incredibly interesting. We have great outtakes. Um, <laughs> it took me a year to edit the film, yeah. and myself and the editor and many others have our favorite outtakes that we wished had been in the movie. Um, so I don't know what we're going to do with them, we often think that maybe we'll do specialized pieces. For example, I spent three hours talking to Justice Thomas about his jurisprudence and his life on the court, and it's only like five or 10 minutes of the film. So we thought maybe to do a version for law schools and law students. I also think it's a great record, a, a historic record, and I'm not sure what he's gonna do with his papers, but I think in the long run, we'll try to archive it somewhere. I think you handle the jurisprudence Prudence just about right. The thing that's wonderful about this is you really convey who he was growing up. Mm. And as a, as a filmmaker, it was striking. You didn't have a lot of images to work with. And getting photos, for example, now everybody has digital cameras mm -hmm. and all of us have too, way too many <laughs> pictures of our lives. There not, weren't many. How did you, how did you recreate his past uh, uh, visually, which you do uh, vividly? Well, once you pick this path of it, one person being interviewed, then you have that challenge. What are the other visual materials that you can, you can cut to? And you're quite right. There are not a lot of photos of Justice Thomas or his grandfather who raised him or any of them. As, as he likes to say, you know, they were, they were, I mean, as you know, his story is coming from dire poverty in the segregated South, the highest court in the land, an amazing journey. But way there at the beginning, dire poverty, he likes to say African-Americans living in the segregated South weren't taking Kodak pictures of themselves and developing them. Yeah. So there were very few pictures. So we had to use archival footage, archival stills. 
We tried to get them as close to the time and place that he talks about as we could. And we have sort of ex expressionistic recreations, not literal recreations, but recreations. Well, the thing that's striking, and I, I hope everybody listening or watching this is going to rush right out mm -hmm. and take a look at the film, because the thing that's striking is you take on a man a life, a life journey. He's born in the, uh, in the, in the Tidewater area mm -hmm. of South Carolina. Georgia. Georgia. And you use the metaphor of a boat mm -hmm. or the image of a boat and the value of different courses of his life. It's a great, uh, great, great image, and it carries you along with the story. How did you come up with that idea? Well, I, I you know, I, I did need some kind of metaphor to hang it together. Yeah. yeah. I'm not really sure how I came up with that idea. I have to be honest with you, Bill. I came up with many other ideas. They were not working too well. I tried them. I shot a few. <laughs> One of the people who worked with me was reminiscing recently about all the ideas I had that didn't work out, which was fun for him, but, you know, it's uh, tough to live with. Or but that one did work. And I'm not sure why it worked. I think it, it was also worked musically. You know, we had this... Uh, it, it, it worked because, A, he talks about The Road Not Taken, the Frost poem, and the, and the, the journey of a boat in a bayou mirrored what he ta his talking about the Frost poem. And we had the theme of Moon River. Johnny Mercer, who wrote Moon River. Who came, grew up not too far from grew up not, And they named a river near in Pinpoint where Clarence Thomas was born, Moon River. Yeah. So we have the Moon River theme and the path, the journey and the path theme. And I, I think it did hang the film together. But, but you're quite right. It's very remarkable that he came, he was born in Pinpoint, a Gullah-speaking area off the coast of Georgia. And, and you're also right that it's a part, the Gullah-speaking areas go from northern Florida all the way up to South Carolina. In a way, South Carolina is the heart of the Gullah-Geechee world. And so English wasn't even his first language. There's a tough moment in the movie or in the film where he conveys when one of his, I think he'd gone to the Catholic, Catholic mm. uh, school and the teacher there told him, uh, or maybe it was the, what, we went somewhere, the seminary, where one of the people, one of the teachers said to him, you, you can't speak black English, That's right. you can't speak this, you've got to speak standard English. That's right. How, that comes across very uh, strong. How did, that, how did that feel when you're sitting there talking with him? Well, I, you know, so I think today, if you said that, you would be branded a racist. This was a white um, Irish yeah. priest. Yeah. Um, telling a black man that he doesn't speak proper English. But for Justice Thomas, I mean, at first, he was insulted. He, he, he was, um, you know, he, he was angry. And then he realized that this man was right. If he didn't speak English, he wouldn't succeed. I mean, imagine how would he get to the Supreme Court. So he took it seriously, and it was a weakness from, for him since he began in the, with this Gullah dialect. And it, just like Justice Thomas, when he went to college at Holy Cross, he majored in English because it was his weakest subject. I mean, that's sort of the person he was. He, he says also in the film that when he was born, his mother said he was too stubborn to cry. And that stubbornness is what has pulled him through. So when you're sitting with him for 30 hours, what, what came across to you most, uh, most distinctly? Well, what, what did you feel when you were with him? I, I, he had had, he's had a lot of setbacks. I mean, we, we only touched on them, really, and the, and the trailer touches on them. But, you know, they're struggling with poverty, struggling with racism, struggling with financial problems. He has lots of struggles, and he has great resilience. 
and he can come back again and again. And he doesn't choose to define himself as a victim. And his grandfather, who raised him, doesn't choose to define himself as a victim, even though they are coming from real segregation, the Jim Crow South, real poverty, dire poverty. We, we have a story in the film where, you know, in, the, in Savannah, before he goes to his grandfather, you know, they have an outhouse where it flushes in the neighbor's yard and their outhouse flushes in his yard. I mean, unsanitary conditions, hunger. So he could think of himself as a victim. Yeah, those, but he those images, not. those visuals were vivid. Yeah, it's vivid. Um, and just as Thomas said to, has said that it was even worse than those visuals depicted. So, uh, um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, poverty, not too many of us have, have even what, what surprised you? Seen. What surprised you most about him after you've spent that time with him? It's that, 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 that he doesn't see himself as a victim, that he feels his life was blessed, and that he has humility. This is a rare trait. I mean, we're here in the D.C. area. Politicians maybe all could use a lot more of it. He, he has it. He says a prayer for humility every day. And he has that sense that his life is blessed. And, and I think that attitude towards his life is something we should all share. You're watching The Bill Walton Show, and I'm here with Michael Pack, and we're talking about uh, the fascinating journey he took with uh, Clarence Thomas to make his documentary. And uh, I'm learning uh, that uh, Clarence Thomas is even better in person <laughs> than he is uh, on film. Mm. So, Michael, thank you for, uh, for sharing. What else about the making of the, of the film uh, is... Uh, what would we be interested in? Well, um, I mean, I, it, I do feel it was a privilege to interview him for over 30 hours, but to, in, in terms of what he's like in person... Now, at some point, did he say to you, I'm not going to answer that well, question. I don't want to talk about that. I, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, the reason I think it was a privilege... It, is it could it be was, a tough interview, too. It was a tough interview for him. It wasn't fun for him or for Ginny. You know, Ginny cheered up several times in the interview, and just as Thomas, too, you could see his emotion... It's not fun to relive some of these horrible moments of his past, including the confirmation, uh, his, his contentious confirmation and the Anita Hill charges. But once he agreed to do it, this stubbornness came into play again, and he wanted to see it through. And I'm happy that he did, honored that he did. Um, and, but I, in terms of what he's like off camera, so um, in making the film, Justice Thomas, and this is very rare for interview subjects, he, he wanted to do long interviews. So I interviewed him for four hours at a time. Most people can't stand being interviewed for more than an hour or so. But I, I did promise to Ginny, his wife, and to the Supreme Court, uh, his staff at the Supreme Court, that I would turn the cameras off at noon every day. And as you know, most producers are not... 100% truthful about what the last question is or when the camera is turned off. But I really promise. I find on this show we get all our best stuff after the cameras, it, after, it, after we think we've stopped taking. Indeed. <laughs> so that's a tricky thing. But I did turn it off at noon. I promised I, I did. And, and he, you know, Jenny always said to me, you know, he does have an, 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 a real job that's demanding. So I knew that. My researcher turned that up and <laughs> I wanted to set him back to that real job. But at... So, but at noon every day, my wife, who's very clever this way, sent our son, who was a production assistant, over to say, Justice Thomas, would you like to stay for lunch? And every single time he stayed for lunch for another hour. So he never left before one, in spite of my promise. You know, after that, I just promised to turn the camera off. And at lunch, 
he was ebullient. I mean, he's particularly interested in the young people in the crew, like my son and another production assistant. He remembered from session to session what they said last time. He inquired about them. He laughed a lot at lunch. The crew said to me all the time, you should be filming lunch, you know, <laughs> but I didn't. And, um, you know, and, and, and that interest in every single person is very remarkable. In the case of one production assistant, she was planning to go into the film business, and just as Thomas convinced her to go into the law, to go to law school, something I think her parents should thank me for. Um, <laughs> so I think that he, he just took that interest in everybody, and everybody was struck by that. And the crew had a wide variety of political points of view, but they were all struck by his humanity and his concern. You did a very good job setting up the uh, Anita Hill incident. Mm. I was struck by how you built that story from his taking his, his, his first job with Danforth in mm. Missouri and following him to the Capitol through his career and then having Danforth with him. Mm. Uh, Governor, is it Senator Danforth? Yes, Senator. Mm. Uh, was that footage hard to come by? How did you edit all the CNN material? There's a lot to work with, and I think you 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 brought out just the uh, the most salient highlights. Well, because it's Clarence Thomas in his own words, our approach is always to see it as he sees it. Yeah. So although some of us of a certain age remember the hearings well, it's rare to see it as he saw it, to experience it his way. And as you know, before the Anita Hill charges were... Uh, released, there had been a whole other hearing. He had his his real hearing, as he likes to call it, you know, a whole week of being grilled by the Senate Judiciary Committee, chaired by Democrats, chaired by Joe Biden. Chaired by Joe Biden. And that was really hard, and it was grueling. And he really felt, when that was over, that it, it, he had finished a, a, a tremendously difficult process, and he and his wife went off on a vacation. And it was then, when it was over, that Anita Hill's charges were leaked, leaked to Newsday and NPR. And, and as a result of the leak, the Senate decided to reconvene the Judiciary Committee for this second group of hearings. And as Justice Thomas says, it's like you've run one marathon, it's over, you relax, and you're told, now you have to run a second marathon. And so he experienced that second marathon differently. As he said, he felt that he was in a Kafkaesque world. It was sort of surreal. As Ginny said, he was sort of physically, emotionally spent. They had to rely on their faith to get them through. So I hope the viewers get to see how Thomas experienced it that way through the hearings. And then it does culminate in his very dramatic high-tech lynching speech before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Riveting. 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 Although, I, you know, thinking about the, the Inquisition Part 1, mm -hmm. uh, you did provide us with comic relief. <laughs> I did. And the comic relief was Joe Biden talking about natural law. Yeah. Well, Joe Biden... <laughs> he he <laughs> hasn't changed that much. No, he's not changed that much, although it's interesting to see him so young. But yes, he was trying... To, he got lost a little bit in the intricacies of natural law philosophy and in his effort to get Justice Thomas to say something about abortion and Roe. I mean, that's what the first hearing was about. I mean, all women's groups were very mobilized... There was the fear that if Justice Thomas was on the court, they would roll back, they would roll back the, the Roe decision and the other, and, and um, you know, abortions would be more rare, it would be harder. So they mobilized, and the senators, too, were very focused on that. And the natural law thing was just a way to get, get around his unwillingness to discuss that issue. And you see Joe Biden 
you know, get lost in that. Well, it's one of the powers of documentary filmmaking. I mean, I read Justice Thomas's book, and it was fabulous. But you, you, you conveyed, and I hope I'm getting at this effectively through music and through visuals and photographs, and then the CNN uh, inqui televised inquisition, some things that really can't you can't bring out in a book. Well, that's right. I mean, I'm very pro book too. Yeah. But you you get to see Justice. Well, you were Tom president of Claremont. Institute. That, I guess right. there are a few books there, it, but indeed. you, you it, are responsible for some written it, it, word. Indeed, but. <laughs> and we're big believers in you know Plato and Aristotle and their importance, and they never made movies. But it's true. You, I feel in this format, you see Justice Thomas's emotion. You know, yeah. when he talks about it, you know, you feel it with him in a way that's hard to do in a book, and you get to see the actual, in the case of the hearings, these clips from the hearings. And in fact, it was very tricky to make them all blend together. It was many sources, CNN, C-SPAN a little bit, ABC, NBC. You know, We had to use every source to get the shots and the quality that we wanted. Well, Michael, thanks for being here. This has been a fascinating conversation. But as usual with me, I've, I've taken all the time to talk about one thing. We need to talk about something else that I think would be equally interesting, which is what life is like as a documentary filmmaker, a conservative documentary filmmaker in today's world. And so join me in the after show where we'll be talking about what it's like to make films uh, when you're surrounded by people from Hollywood who don't necessarily like you. Uh, you can check it out uh, on our website, which will be posted in a couple of days. And also on the website, you can learn more about Michael Pack on our interesting people section of the site. And please give me your comments about this show. And I would also love to get your, uh, your uh, opinions about who we ought to have on and other topics that uh, you'd be interested in. So anyway, thanks for joining, as usual. And we will see you, uh, see you back again. Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe at thebillwaltonshow.com or on iTunes.